Welcome everyone and thank you for joining us for the next edition of Independent Outlook. I'm Graham Walker and we're coming to you today from the Independent Outlook here in Oakland, California, almost in the shadow of San Francisco across the bay. And uh, our aim is to give you a somewhat independent perspective on the events of the day. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the complicated election end game. And then we're going to talk about some of the social media, mm, I don't know, I kind of call it imperialism on the same subject, talking about uh, the possible Biden administration, senior appointees, and much else. So thanks for joining us. Today we have with us, as usual, our president uh, and founder, David Thoreau, who founded the Independent Institute some 34 years ago. Hi, David. Hi. It's great to have you, as usual. And of course, also Bill Evers, Williamson Evers, who is the director of our Center on Educational Excellence. Thank you for joining us, Bill. Thank you. So I am looking at the daily news and you know, it's, it's hard for a layman to sort through some of this election endgame stuff because there's a lot of complicated things going on. Some of them seem more significant than others. Um, let me just like toss a thought out on the table first and then maybe David and then Bill can pick, pick up on this a little bit with some details. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking at my own copy of the U.S. Constitution, which I keep in my pocket. And uh, well, not always, but a lot of the time. And uh, in Article 2, Section 1, it says, and this is I think this is the heart of some of the most important uh, lawsuits that seem to be underway affecting the election. It says each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors, namely presidential electors, et cetera. So Article 2 of the U.S. Constitution specifies that the state legislatures may, de may, may de determine the manner in which such electors are uh, selected and put into place. And uh, the electors are scheduled to vote on the 14th next week in their respective states. Um, but a lot of the litigation seems to hang on whether or not um, that specification in Article 2 of the U.S. Constitution is very specific and literal or kind of flexible and living. Uh, David, can you comment on that and some of these other electoral litigation ma matters? The Constitution is a short document, and there is very uh, little leeway to misinterpret the words of Article 2, Section 1, Clauses 2 and 3. It's very specific about how the electors are determined uh, and who has the responsibility for doing that, which is state legislatures, not governors, not mayors, not attorney generals, not the janitor. It is uh, essentially the state legislators. And if that's not complied with, then the electors are illegitimate. And that's essentially part of the motivation of the state of Texas lawsuit against four other states, uh, the four other states being Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Uh, since they filed that, which I believe was yesterday, there are now eight more states that have joined in, uh, including Louisiana, Alabama, Florida, Kentucky, Mississippi, South Carolina, South Dakota, and Arkansas. Wow, and possibly that's way more others. than yesterday. Right. So it'll be probably more, I, I suspect. Their case is um, primarily twofold. Uh, the first being uh, noncompliance with Article 2, Section uh, 2, Section 1, sorry. The part I read a moment ago. Right. The two clauses, Clauses mm -hmm. 2 and 3. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other part is the equal protection from the 14th Amendment. Mm -hmm. And there are a number of different aspects of that that they go into in their uh, court filing. Mm -hmm. And they're asking for a number of things in the process, uh, which essentially boils down to the um, uh, selection of electors by those states, since they're not in compliance, is illegitimate. Mm -hmm. and cannot be accepted, and either new electors have to be selected or a number of other um, procedures to, uh, to be pursued to uh, have presidential electors in compliance with the constitutional provision. I mean, the state, state governments are given the opportunity to set the standards and practices for mm -hmm. election, uh, national elections, 
as well as state elections. So now but just for this clarity. This is one clear part of it that that is selecting presidential electors that the Constitution is in question, unquestionably clear on. Mm -hmm. Just to be clear, usually these kind of cases that the public hears about, you know, you hear them working their way up through the state and then the federal courts and finally to the Supreme Court. But in this case, uh, these states are filing a suit against other states and therefore I think the Constitution says it's a, the Supreme Court has the first uh, dibs on jurisdiction without going through that other process, right? It's really the only way. It's the only jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the other ones right. don't have jurisdiction. The Supreme Court right. has so it a, now. A complaint between one state and another goes directly to the Supreme Court if they accept the case. If they accept it, right. Right. Yeah. And I suspect they will accept it. Um, some, of the re uh, some of the requests being made um, may go a little far for the court to agree to. Um, for example, they want to enjoin the defendant states from certifying electors. Mm -hmm. um, they may, I mean, it's a number of different Most of which have already aspects. done so, I think, have they not? A number of them have, right. Mm -hmm. And they're challenging this. They're basically saying that that, that that certification is illegal. And the the basis for these states doing it different from previous elections is really something that's occurred over the last year or so mm -hmm. or less sometimes just six months or less. And these were provisions pushed by Democratic Party uh, interests and funded accordingly. Uh, Zuckerberg at Facebook funded some right. of the operations. Including the uh, Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, I think they right. called their foundation. Exactly. Grants to all sorts of dollars. county electoral but typically only the democratically dominated counties got the grant money. Right. And so the Democratic attorney generals are now paying <laughs> Facebook back. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're going to come to that in a minute. But don't don't jump yeah. ahead because that's a whole hornet's nest in itself. But go on, David. So the Supreme Court has asked the plaintiff, the uh, defendants, uh, defending states, defendant states to reply, I think, mm -hmm. by tomorrow. Right. Yeah, and it's pretty amazing. It's um, this is clearly uh, a textualist dream because if you're going to go by the actual wording and intent and meaning of the words in the document, and the meaning hasn't changed, uh, it's pretty clear what you say. But the qualification will be those justices that are f hesitant to have broad. Uh, rulings that are going to jeopardize the election itself. But I do think that there are provisions in which you can uh, pursue a number of different paths. Some of them are more clear than others uh, as far as being less offensive to some people. Isn't the main job of the court to find if a violation has occurred? Yes. And even if they make no finding of the next step, uh, they would still have done their job. Why don't we count the five the five justices and see how we think they're going to vote? Well, <laughs> I mean, if there was this ruling, the 4-4 ruling, where they sent back this case right. involving Pennsylvania, right. that was sort of a good litmus test. Yes. Uh, the recent uh, Alito decision to send back this um, case by these two Republican legislators from Pennsylvania um, was sent back unanimously, but it's not really about this right. issue per se. Right. So um, I think that's immaterial. But if, if they do rule that the procedure is to pick the electors, whether they're certified or not, uh, the elections were certified or not, clearly means that they have to enjoin the uh, existence of either the electors that would be picked the you know it leaves that open and so that's the question about what would be done so now. let's say there's a 5-4 decision in favor of halting further action by these electors what happens next graham well what happens next is that um although they're supposed to meet next week to register they can votes, still meet they just they won't still have everybody meet. there the question mm -hmm. is, yeah, exactly. And then what will Congress do when it's supposed to receive the votes? I think it's on January 6th. 
Uh, if in fact the court has ruled that some of these slates of the electors are not valid, then there will be missing votes at the very least. If the states don't somehow appoint new electors, they'll, which they may well not do, they'll be missing votes, which means that probably neither candidate would have 270 counted votes, counted by Congress, in which case the election would be to the, for the president. Just as you described the, before. It yeah, before. It goes to the House of Representatives and they choose among the highest vote getters. Right, but it's my understanding that also, I think it's, it's, it's in Clause 3, it says that no senator or member of the House of Representatives can be an elector. That's right. Mm -hmm. Right. So that would eliminate Lynn Cheney. I mean, Liz, you must mean Liz Cheney. You must mean Liz yeah, Cheney. Yes. She means, he means Liz Cheney, right. Right. Right, not her mother, no. Lynn. But no, she, she would not be acting as an elector in that case. She'd be yeah. acting as a representative from Wyoming. So presumably that would be okay. Yeah, that's right. And she could be the person to pick the elector too. Right. As she could. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's it's complicated, but it, it seems interesting that if it goes to the House, some writers are saying, you know, like I mentioned last time, that oh, it's a done deal. Trump's going to be elected by the House if the House gets the vote, just because there are more Republican delegations than Democratic. But it's but not clear. But there are these cases like Wyoming, exactly. Wyoming, where, Alaska, mm -hmm. and others where the Republican yeah. representative, one or two, are not necessarily very pro-Trump. Pro right? No, and besides which, they may be reluctant to go against their their perception of the popular vote, which of course right. has no constitutional uh, status yes, at right. all. Right. But they may be persuaded politically to make that decision. So that it's it's not a slam dunk if it no. goes that way. But it won't go that way unless the Supreme Court invalidates some of these e electoral decisions. Right, and I just don't see how they can't invalidate part, at least part of it, because if if Barrett and Alito and Thomas, at the very minimum, and, and perhaps Kavanaugh, are textualists, I just don't see how they can rule other, any other way. I can see Roberts ruling against it. I, I could can, too. I can see Roberts oh, ruling, but against I don't it see too. the others. Right. It's very hard to see how they could have that consistent with their doctrine. Right. Exactly. But that would give us a five-four outcome invalidating some of the slates of electors, which would put the Supreme Court right back smack dab in the middle of a presidential selection process. Is as it they possible that they could leave Pennsylvania, arguing? Well, it's hard, I, it's hard for might. me to see how they wiggle out of having to do Pennsylvania. Well, I, here's what I think could, could happen, even with the textualists, who in fact, you know, they're most on the hook because they've already stated their philosophical principle of interpretation, right. which is the text. But for them, is there any other way? And, and here's how I could imagine <laughs> another way of thinking for a textualist. It, it might go something like this, uh, that the Yes, the text of the Constitution specifies that the legislatures determine the selection process, but they already determined it. Mm -hmm. They specified, they passed laws determining how, you know, they're going to be selected. Now, the trouble is some of their executive branches and some of their state judiciaries did not comply with their determinations. Um, and it might be argued uh, in the case of their executive branches of their states that there was either an explicit or an implicit prior grant of discretion in cases of exigency. Um, like the US Congress has adopted a bunch of, uh, has given to the executive branch at the federal level an awful lot of delegated power to the executive branch. There might well be an argument, there's been a lot of explicitly or implicitly delegated power from the state legislatures to the state executives, meaning that in fact, seen in that broader sense, the legislatures did determine the way it was they were selected. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure you're echoing what the <laughs> critics of the Texas suit are saying. Oh so, yeah. I'm, okay, I'm just I telling think we you. Where go I think on it... to another topic. We've pretty well. Uh, well, okay. Let's let's go that. on from that. Here, David may have one last comment though. Do you, David? Well, I think that the uh, the issue of the Fourteenth Amendment in particular also is a serious one, and there are a number of different components to it, including the fact that all four of these states, their own state laws were broken right, or right. were not applied uh, right, across the board. most of it. Mm -hmm. Right, people didn't receive equal treatment. Um, so it's people within the states didn't get equal treatment. People comparing Pennsylvania to Texas, uh, the, the people in both states are not getting equal treatment and so on and so forth. So I think that's, there's a very strong there's a very strong case That's to do something. One. And tough, I th I think they will evade. rule 
in some way, the question will be how to resolve the issue. We have a new election. Right. Will you then uh, go the route that you're saying, Graham? Will they pick the electors separately or some other way? Um, and so on. So right, I they just I think pick it, and it'll go to the House. Yeah, it's unclear. Right, it's unclear. Right. Um, David, so we're, to our listeners, is there any commentator that you have seen that does the best job of laying out the merits of this Texas case? Or a about, person on, on video that somebody could find? I think Mark Levin has done a pretty good job. He's done a pretty good job. I agree. Yeah, I think that's right. And there are others, but I think Mark's been the most prominently visible one. Right. And you know what's, what's weird about this um, is that for myself, and I assume for lots of other people, um, although this case uh, initiated by Texas um, and joined now by other states is a very serious constitutional case and the Supreme Court cannot um, you know, ignore it. They have to do something about it one way or the other, take it or not take it. This, this is real stuff. But to learn about it, I find myself having to go to sort of off-brand media right. sites. You don't find this on the New York Times. I got the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, the Orange County Register, Every day, the Financial Times mm -hmm. of London also, yeah. every day. Do I see this? No. So no. I guess it's not real, but we know from the facts that it actually is real. So what's going on? Why is there kind of like a media blackout on this? It's so weird. Unfortunately, because it's so straightforward. Partly, uh, but I think it's, it's, I think it's the bias, and I think it's uh, they want a different administration. They've invested their own brand name into it, president-elect. Right. Uh, it seems to me that Chris five... Wallace last Sunday was attacking, who was it, um, from the Trump administration for not referring to Biden as president-elect. Mm -hmm. And so there is this groupthink and this bias, and I think that's, that's the natural course of what we're seeing today. But I think that the it's like the Hunter Biden scandals. It's like the video of the uh, State Farm Arena that uh, Facebook has now censored. Uh, you know, it's the same thing. But I think the reality of it is that there's many other places that if you want to look, you can find this information. And the polls show that people, most people think that the vote was defrauded. That's what the polls say. Speaking of Hunter Biden, it's back. <laughs> right, because he's being audited now or investigated by? He's being investigated by the federal attorneys in Delaware. For taxes. Oh right. Yeah. Yeah, well, okay, so back to the media thing. I mean, to me, it seems like a terrible abdication of responsibility on the part of the blue chip media uh, because it forces people uh, to look elsewhere. And, you know, the trouble is when I look elsewhere, I know that some of the other sites, they have their own, like, they don't always have a great track record either. Right, yeah, for right. accuracy. That's so true. it's very difficult for the ordinary citizen to sort this out. Yeah, plus you, you start worrying about Russian trolls and things do, like mm -hmm. that because sure. not, and, you know, but to me, it's outrageous that the video from that State Farm Arena in Georgia mm -hmm. has been taken down by Facebook. It's yeah. not that this is somehow uh, an acting skit. This is not uh, some it wasn't staged video. No. This is exactly what happened. Yeah. Closed circuit TV footage. Yeah, right. But then there were Many of the mainstream media, the legacy media, uh, have attacked the uh, obvious sort of interpretation of what was happening. Right. So the real question is, did the, the people there indicate to the outside observers, particularly obviously the Republican observers, that they were closing town? Go, it, was go it wasn't just that. It was independent observers and media also. Right. Were all right. Right. Out. Mm -hmm. Everybody right. leaves except the vote counters. That's right. Well, it's just <laughs> yeah, four I vote counters. Yeah. But you, what's really sad is that you can't go and look at the video and make your own kind of judgment exactly. about the thing because yeah. YouTube um, is taking it down and they're deleting stuff. You can't anything about alleging uh, voter irregularities is being uh, vetoed, censored, eliminated by Facebook and I guess by YouTube now, which is part of Google. What's the deal with these social media companies? Why are they taking all this stuff out of public view? So if you put up Molly Hemingway's yes. refutation of the taking down of video, yes. yeah. they put down, this is, in, <laughs> this is also disputed by fact checkers. Well, the fact check firm that they used is this, these two people, uh, both with left-wing backgrounds, called Lead Stories. Yeah. Mm. 
And so, uh, in fact, the name of the article at the Federalist by Molly Hemingway is called No, the Georgia Vote Counting Video was not debunked, not even close. And so she, at the very end, she says that, uh, she says, in a Kafkaesque twist, Facebook is now using lead stories to censor this story critical of lead stories. Right, right, exactly. That's exactly what's happening. Right, and that's exactly what's, what's happening. But, and Molly has just nailed it. I just hope that competing uh, companies come into existence. Yeah, and... mm -hmm. I think they are. Yeah. Yeah, I think In fact, there was a report too. today that Newsmax just beat Fox um, one day oh during, the, during the day as the first time ever. So, you know, it's... Here's, here's a pithy little detail I found. Uh, you know, YouTube, uh, when it announced, I guess, earlier today that it was uh, going to push out these kind of uh, videos from their platform, the uh, title of their statement was supporting the 2020 U.S. election. That's how they framed their censorship yeah. policy, That's right. supporting the 2020 election. All right, so let's go on to a new area. Well, one last thing. I mean, what about uh, this antitrust lawsuit? I mean, oh, I, yeah. I, I was just reading about uh, mm -hmm. New York Attorney General uh, Letitia James. She announced uh, today that she's leading a group of 48 state attorneys generals in a lawsuit parallel to one from the Federal Trade Commission uh, ordering, uh, seeking a breakup of uh, Facebook, Facebook yeah. uh, under antitrust law. Wow. Well, I think and it's not because it. she's upset about this, because she, you know she's kind of yeah. a left-leaning Democrat. I think I think we should let market forces take their course here, and not but not give them any special privileges. Take away their you know government if they're getting government contracts, if they're working with NSA or something like that to monitor all of us. Take that away. And just see if they can maintain this if, if they're alienating half the country. Yeah, I mean, I th a lot of people think of it like the the Bell telephone system. Yes, uh, which of course was was uh, a government monopoly. But that was geographically. Based. No, I know it was done. It was broke up geographically, which kept the monopoly geographically. But fortunately, technology has overcame it. Right. Right. Um, but uh, there was real a real monopoly created by the government. And yeah. I think in this case, as you're suggesting, Bill, there are um, protectionist entity, you know, subsidies and whatever, special access um, arrangements with the NSA and so on and so forth. I mean, the, and the thing is- so I think that that's the, way to, that's the way to approach it. And I think we're already seeing a, uh, a uh, uh, revolt and an emigration, so to speak, from some of the big social media to parliament. So just as Drudge has been replaced by Revolver and some other things. Yes, Citizen okay. Free Press and whatever. Right. And, you know, there's, it's, you know, all these, this is all in, it's a dynamic That's process. Right. We can all remember when Netscape was big. Yep, that's right. I look at this kind of situation and uh, when I see an antitrust lawsuit of this type, I, I can't help but wondering, um, do we really need to break up an, a private company? I mean, shouldn't private companies be free to make stupid decisions with regard to their own business and their own customers? The point is they need to be accountable to customers, shareholders, employees, the people that they have contracts with. Right. But if they're protected from being accountable, yes, that's right. when the problem comes in. They're actually benefiting from um, a governmental privileges which are yes, conferred right. upon them. Yep. So it's not really quite the case that these are simply private companies making stupid private decisions. They're making- Well, let's see, we're gonna learn more about it. And yeah. uh, I think it's very ironic that Zuckerberg has been putting his hand on the scales for the Democrats and the Democratic uh, attorneys general are, are trying to hit him with a sledgehammer. Well, yeah, he's, he put in $350 million- Exactly. Into this one part of the campaign. Wow. And that obviously is not a neutral party. No, it's not enough. That's what they're <laughs> telling them. It's that's not right. enough. It could be. Yeah. We want it all. <laughs> yes. That's so right. people in the rest of the country um, are probably interested in what we as uh, Californians have to say about uh, some Californians that are entering a prospective Biden administration. Let's talk about that for a little while here. I was told, although I missed it myself, that when Joe Biden announced his choice of Javier Becerra, 
uh, who is currently the Secretary of State of California. He pronounced his name something more yeah, like- he's the Z Attorney General of California. Excuse right. me, that's right, Attorney General, yeah. He's also and, a former congressman. Correct, right. yeah, I mean, he, he mispronounced his name though, but here in California, we, we try and have the proper Spanish pronunciation. But regardless, um, uh, Mr. Becerra is a pretty strong choice, strong in the sense of um, very vigorously asserting a kind of tilt that those of us who were worried about a minus Biden administration in the first place, it kind of confirms our worries. You're right. I mean, he's, he's uh, a radical on abortion. Uh, not only is he in favor of abortion at any point. For any reason. For any reason, but he's in favor of mandating people funding abortion, uh, uh, California, is uh, the place where uh, the Center for Medical Progress had been spying on uh, essentially getting videos of executives of Planned Parenthood who were discussing, essentially discussing their negotiations and sales of um, aborted fetal um, body parts. Mm -hmm. And um, Becerra actually started on, on Kamala Harris, and then Becerra came in, he continued the uh, suits to go after the uh, the head of of, of um, the Center for Medical Progress, which is uh, a clear violation of uh, the First and Fourteenth Amendment, the First Amendment so for two reasons: on one speech, is free speech, free and press, the other one is religious press, freedom. Yes, free, press. free press, free press, but also free religious speech. freedom. That too, yeah, right. that too. I mean, the the, ar the argument is that they're they're just using, arguably, uh, they say. They're just enforcing California's video recording laws, but what they're, the way they're enforcing them, what Kamala Harris was and Javier Becerra, also they're uh, enforcing them with a kind of selectivity that makes it very clear that it's all about silencing right. disfavored political this is speech. A common, what, was, what was done is common by investigative reporters, and you know they've never gone after any regular investigative reporters. They just didn't like the result of this story Mm -hmm. They found it too shocking. They right. even acknowledged that that was a reason. I always thought we we're supposed to admire muckrakers, but they got... Yeah. yeah, even if, let's say, you know, you have a different view of what Planned Parenthood was doing, why can't it be reported? I mean, that's very outrageous. Now, I just speaking of free press and, and this possible head of HHS, he... So, so in California, we have a law that if you're a police officer and you transgress the law, you transgress the regulations in your police department, you abuse citizens, you abuse anyone that's subject to the police, and there's a record of this, this record is supposed to become public. And Becerra blocked that to the great upset of the news media in California. But he did it. He didn't care about the law. No. So he also, this is not original with him, previous uh, people have done this, but he was also mucking with the title and content of state propositions. So we have referenda in California. It's very easy to uh, get. We have a lot of them and too many. Ballot, and he interfered with. Uh, the descriptions of these so to make them seem on the ones he didn't like to make them seem unattractive to the public and vice versa right yeah yeah and so he also he is a piece of work i i think yeah. he if there's not somebody that's deserving of a challenge from the u.s senate uh i think he's certainly one of them well he's also uh the key guy who is fighting uh, to enforce AB5. Yes. Uh, the measure. Actually, I have ban... that in my notes and I've forgotten. And David, you are absolutely right. He has been a terror on trying to shut down independent contractors and gig exactly. workers. That's right. And he's also uh, the person, one of them, but he's been outspoken in his belief that um, group, you know, a group like Little Sisters of the Poor should be forced. Right. Um, to provide abortion services in their... Well, to buy... To buy uh, yeah, but so even for more. socialized medicine, and he yes. wants comprehensive socialized medicine. And even if you're right. a, a poverty-vowing Catholic nun, 
who's not going to get pregnant, hey, you got to pay as if you're going to be pregnant. Yeah. And he also um, was uh, in favor of a 2015 law that was apparently, I think it was ruled unconstitutional, requiring crisis pregnancy centers to refer women to abortion clinics. Another right. First Amendment right. no, issue. He, Violation he, of free he speech. Favored, mm-hmm. He favored them having to notify if you come into a private, so some pregnancy crisis centers are trying to counsel people to, you know, have your baby. Don't, don't, we'll try and work with an adoption agency. We'll try and, if, if you want to ha- hang on to the baby, great. We're going to counsel you that way. But, and so th- that offended uh, some people politically that someone could have that position mm-hmm. and offer that kind of counseling. And so they were mandating forced speech. For, mm-hmm. So forced speech is definitely unconstitutional. And so they were saying, you have to say, by the way, you can get an abortion, right? Even if that's what you believe that they shouldn't do. So his support for AB five, Assembly yeah. Bill five, is yeah. part of his consistent support for uh, sort of union-supported uh, state mandates uh, of all sorts. Yeah. And I, uh, I think he has to be of all the names that have been floated by the. Biden people as their nominees, this has to be one of the worst. Yeah, But there are some other unattractive people. <laughs> well, there yeah. are. But I just want to point out before we go on to the others that, you know, we're, we're speaking as Californians here. It's not like we right. don't like our own. We do like our own. I, I admire, he has an inspiring personal story, uh, immigrant yes. family from Mexico, risen. And right. this is no derogation of that. It's right. just the trouble is, and and it's it's it, his policies and behavior. It was and it's and it's not just his opinions. It's the way he's used the law right. in a discriminatory and unconstitutional ways that makes it a question whether he should be the chief law officer of the United States. If only he well, would, would support the idea of being upwardly mobile, mobile and have an opportunity for people in need, and not be in favor of measures that would clamp down and destroy those choices for people. Right. Okay. Uh, General Lloyd Austin, we should be excited about this because this would be the first African-American Secretary of Defense, I think, if he were approved. But boy, there's getting, he's getting a lot of pushback on that one. Unbelievable. Both the Los Angeles Times, the, also the New York Times, also the, uh, an, editor, uh, uh, you know, an editorial in the Financial Times of London. This is, <laughs> this is kind of getting in the weeds of California, I'm sorry, of U.S. politics for the Financial Times, lots of pushback that, and basically along the lines of civilian control of the military. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So under the National Security Act passed at the end of World War II. 1947. Because we were going to now have a very large standing army. Uh, the Congress said that you had to be a certain number of years away from being Seven. a general officer Seven if you years. were going to be named uh, to this position of Secretary of Defense. And so this was waived for General Marshall, George Marshall, and it was waived for Jim Mattis. And now a lot of people, for example, Susan Collins of Maine said, well, okay, I thought there was a particular case in the case of Donald Trump, who didn't have a lot of foreign policy experience, so I was willing to see that, uh, you know, Jim Mattis could help out there. But I don't see it here, and I don't want to make a habit of it, and I don't want to establish a precedent of every time we're just waiving this, and we have people from the Pentagon mm-hmm. in charge of the Pentagon. That's right. what the Collins said. Yes. Right. I, mm-hmm. She didn't quite go on as long as I did, but that was just <laughs> But then it's not just that. We're getting pushback from people on the so-called left from his serving on the board of Raytheon right. and yeah. Nucor. So, so both left and right mm-hmm. are doing this thing about the civilian control of the military. It's actually quite across the board. And the only people who are defending it are really political hacks. Mm-hmm. It's actually kind of surprising. I think yeah. it's kind of heartening. Uh, for those of us who have always loved Arthur E. Church's book, Civilian and the Military. Which we published. Yes. I we have a new I've, edition of it that yeah, Robert Higgs did, the forward to. published it, yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that's why I recommend that to people. Yeah. I'm even recommending it spontaneously, not remembering that you had republished it. But uh, it's a great book. And, uh, you know, the Raytheon thing is being attacked from the left as that he's part of the military-industrial complex. Mm-hmm. 
And I think some Trumpians seem to be uh, of the same mind because mm -hmm. Trump himself uh, raised the thought that we might have a military-industrial complex pressure problem mm -hmm. in our foreign policy. Right. So he was commander, became commander right. in Iraq. Right. Uh, he the, was the whole Middle East command. Yeah. Right. He was also the um, uh, became commander. I think it was under Obama of uh, uh, Central Command, and um, he's not. I don't think he's an ideologue. No. Um, right. He he describes himself as a loyal soldier, and uh, I think he basically does what the uh, the Pentagon wants and what the an administration wants and i think biden was thinking that um he would he'd be a checkbox on identity politics right and, which i think what obama and the others were doing as well uh so it, it is i do think it's and so he was being presented as an alternative to michelle flournoy right because the left was too concerned about her military right. and consulting yes. and think tank right. type ties but with her we could have broken the glass ceiling for women well, why do we why do we always think in these terms? The question is why do women want to be discredited when now they don't have to take responsibility for these stupid decisions? You have a great sense of humor, David. I would also add that a very very telling tape of Lloyd Austin is when he's in front of Congress and they're asking him about millions of dollars that have been poured into creating an alternative guerrilla army to fight uh, the Assad regime in Syria. And he is forced to admit that every dime was wasted. They yeah. ended up with nothing. That's no right. army, no people, no yeah. nothing. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, I have to give him credit for saying that, but, you know, he also was <laughs> presiding over that, so. Well, there are other um, names that are floating around, too. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them is um, near a tandem and for director of office of management and budget and uh, she uh, uh, worked with obama and with hillary uh, she's famous for her tweeting uh, in which she would attack other people uh, she is sort of a uh, anti-republican activist but she also has a. She's not a unity appointment. That's what no, David she's not a unity appointment. Mm -hmm. She attacked Biden, for example. Um, but no, she attacked Saunders. She no, was, she she attacked she a, Saunders, but also she said that it would be a good thing if Biden dropped out because that would help Hillary's campaign. Oh, okay, okay. But the the, the interesting thing about her is, and also she's known for. Uh, she was asked by this one reporter this question. She turns around and she punches him in the chest. What? And so, anyway, but the interesting question about her is whether uh, she's so universally disliked by Republicans and Democrats, uh -huh. of whether she's actually being presented as sort of a sacrificial lamb. Right. That's been suggested to, that she's to the gods right. of the transition process. She's going to stick in the center. Yeah, so she's drawing away fire from right. Becerra. Right. Right. So Becerra is getting like no opposition because everybody hates, hates her first. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. It's interesting that Lloyd Austin is getting all this opposition, that Becerra is seeming to get a walk. By the way, Fudge has a problem. Marsha Fudge. That's right. Tell us. So she stuck up for this fellow legislator who was right. beating his wife. And so she's testified and said, you know, he's a wonderful guy and we shouldn't be doing this to him. So the guy gets out. So then he murders his wife. So that kind of was a pretty bad judgment on her part. I mean, everybody can make mistakes, but. Uh, I, I yeah, he was a state legislator yeah. in Ohio. Yeah. And so she. Uh, she was a colleague. She pushed to get leniency for him. Right. So he was exactly. in prison yeah. for like eight months or something. Got out, killed his wife. Exactly. I just want to mention that I uh, I misspoke a few moments ago when I was speaking about Becerra. I was uh, he's you, you the opposed. Yeah. yeah, I meant Health and Human Services, right? And so we've got a, yeah. a question actually from one of our participants who's following us uh, online today, who asked this question. I guess in view of what we said about Becerra already, uh, Becerra as head of HSS will be in charge of vaccine distribution. Will he politically skew distribution to special favor to identity politics? 
If so, how can this be countered? Uh, thank you, Ron, who sent that in through our ThinkSpot so interface. The real answer is the states are going to have the final say over this. The national government is going to make recommendations. Uh, the New York Times last Sunday had a huge article about the need for racial basis of rationing of the mm -hmm. vaccine. And the Spectator USA had a, an article chastising the New York Times for this. Do we need you know race to be governing the vaccine distribution? And the, the rationale that's being offered is that Latinos and blacks are suffering a lot. But it seems to me that if you, I mean, I don't know, we could get into this whole question of whether the government is any good at picking who should get the vaccine. But anyway, they've got the vaccine, so they're going to pick it. And, uh, you know, the argument could even be made that young people should get it since they're probably the ones who are spreading it, right? Over 16. But, you know, that's politically impossible. They're going to give it to the old people and the hospital workers first. And so, I mean, that can be... Who will have more serious reactions to but it? But the real question is, are they going to give it to blacks and Latinos because of political clout and in order to satisfy this uh, identity politics and Black Lives Matter and so forth stuff that's going around the country and is strong in the, in the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. I think yep. they're going to, if they don't do it, they're going to have to say, well, our plan does it anyway, even though it doesn't yeah, right. overtly do it. Right. They're, they're, they're going to be faced with pressure on this. Yeah, because I think, you know, the, the, the claim, uh, I forget, there was a major basketball player who uh, recently, uh, I think it was today, announced that uh, the healthcare system is racist against blacks. And if you don't have the kind of money that he has, uh, you're out of luck. Mm. So I think that the, the view is that the medical system is systemically racist and they have to have special measures uh, to make things equitable. We're going to probably see that, but I think right. that will not be popular in general in the country. No, I don't, I don't think, I think so either. it will be part of piling on of yes. this thing that the Democrats and the progressives and the leftists are doing to themselves. Right. So and I think, yeah, they're going to fight. The they're going to fight with each other. Yeah. But the, the people who are in need are going to be hurt. Yeah. And right. are not going to be happy. And their relatives are not going to be happy. <laughs> That's right. But exactly. I think that tendency, which our, our participant who sent the question is you know, probably rightly concerned about, um, it may well uh, be resisted for you know, many political reasons and you know, just the awkwardness of overtly right. race-based allocations. Right. But we're seeing in Oregon, Oregon passed a law setting up a subsidy for COVID-damaged businesses, mm -hmm. only black businesses. Oh, only black businesses. Yeah, I don't wow. see how that survives constitutional scrutiny. Wow, no, I don't yeah. see that's that's not equal protection. That's... So there you have an example of this already going on. Oregon is, of course, one of the most liberal states in the country. Yeah, and I th I, th I think it's part of a pattern too politically that we're seeing uh, in this election and its results that you know there was no blue wave. There was at most a blue ripple. Uh, running across a very strong red cross current. Mm -hmm. um, the Republicans got more seats in the House. They're going to probably hold the Senate. Um, they held the state houses and governorships. Um, there's going to be a lot of resistance to any overt action of the type that our participant uh, was worried about. And it's probably a good thing that America's constitutional setup allows for, you know, blocking and parrying and uh, right. checking and balancing. A related, related uh, possible appointment on this issue of systemic racism is Mary Nichols, who is, um, uh, has been chairwoman of the California Air Resources Board, another California progressive. Uh, she is in favor of zero emissions by 2035. And for comparative purposes, in 2018 in California, uh, electric cars made up of, made up one percent of all cars, so you can see what kind of change that would be. Especially already, we have blackouts and so on and so forth. But the reason I mention this is because she believes that environmental racism is just one oh. form of racism, and that climate action is necessary to deal with it. Yeah. Wow. 
So um, and she is under consideration for a position, David? To be head of EPA. Okay. Oh, wow. Huh. Well, um, let me jump half a step back to the question of, uh, you know, the vaccines. Uh, hopefully they will not be distributed in some egregiously racial way. And if they, if they, if the setter tries, I'm sure it's going to be pretty hardy pushback, but it brings us to the question of vaccines more generally. Um, and if you don't mind, David, I was just thinking about the way that earlier today, you and I had a little exchange on this subject. We've been reading different articles about, you know, when's the FDA going to approve these vaccines? When's the emergency youth authorization going to be given? The, the Brits already are starting to give people their vaccination shots. It's the banner headline in many newspapers today, Britain yeah. starts vaccine. Yeah. So I, I asked- and, and Fauci said, oh, oh, our pace, our slow, mm -hmm. our, our, our leisurely pace in the United States with the FDA is the right pace. The Brits are not. But then other people say, oh, well, there's, you know, there's a hidden risk that no one's taking seriously these vaccines. So I, told, I said to David this morning, you know, I can't tell whether the FDA is being too slow to approve the vaccine or too fast to approve the vaccine. And David, your response was just really perfect. Well, their, their default is that slow equals safe. Yeah. And right. uh, just from the nature of the bureaucracy itself, and also the interest groups who use the FDA, um, the FDA requires all sorts of uh, testing and you know, it costs hundreds of millions of dollars to get a single drug approved. Right. And that means that most innovators can't afford that. Right. And so you have a, you have a, a narrowing of the firms that can compete to pr produce drugs, plus the fact you have the problem of so-called orphan drugs. Now there's orphan drugs, when they do research, you find out that not only can you find medications that would help people with diabetes or heart conditions or whatever, but you find many other drugs that will not be relevant to millions of people, but maybe to just 10,000 people or 5,000 people. But because you can't afford all the testing, they never come to market. So the FDA is uh, a log jam. Uh, there are private entities, nonprofit and for-profit. For example, there's a firm called ECRI which does testing for medical devices. Um, and, and the model is very similar to you know, um, Underwriters Laboratory ah, and other mm -hmm. entities that certify. And when you get certified by these private firms, uh, your insurance costs go down, uh, your uh, tort situation is, is more manageable. Um, and uh, the view that you should have one central planning entity like the CDC or the FDA and many of these health measures is really foolish. I mean, the CDC, if going through this COVID experience, has been wrong almost every time. And then they change, they reverse their, their opinion within a week. That's right. right. Anyway, the FDA, choice. we have a, a website called FDAreview.org that goes through the history of the FDA and examines many, many things, um, which I recommend too. We also did a book called Hazardous to Our Health uh, on the FDA. Um, so th Another the, good the, introduction to this topic, Dan Henninger of the Wall Street Journal did an article for the Concise Encyclopedia mm -hmm. of Economics that you can easily find called right. under the tag Drug Lag. Yes. And this drug lag terminology comes from the well-known University of Chicago economist Sam Peltzman, mm -hmm. who's you know not he's retired, but he is a great economist and uh, good friend of he, ours. He studied this. No, really, famously. And so the the Operation Warp Speed effort was basically the White House seeing the ridiculous lags in right. producing things, which would not be acceptable in a private market. They just crashed through the red tape. Some of it was subsidy, but a lot of it was crashing through the red tape. Yeah, that's right. And, the, and, the, and these firms competing, because this is a big opportunity, right? right? Financial right. opportunity. But the key is um, crashing th through the red tape is not a substitute for doing sound science and right. to check on the safety right. hazards of side effects and I mean, we don't know whether these vaccines will affect the autoimmune system of, of elderly people, say. So well, gonna, we want to make sure that that safety it. is built in. And the way to build it, build it in is to make people accountable, not to socialize it through some right. agency. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're just so accustomed to assuming that, of course, everything to do with health and safety has to be centrally determined by an agency in Washington, D.C. for all 50 states. Uh, it's almost impossible for Americans to get outside of that mindset and consider private licensing and like. Right. Well, for example, I, I, mentioned- I think that's a private alternative would be great. But one of the other aspects of this drug lag is here are all these drugs that are used in foreign countries and have mm-hmm. gone through their screening process. Yeah. And they're not allowed in the U.S. sometimes for years and years. Mm-hmm. Right now, and yet it may be- Germany or France or Italy or Britain are using these drugs with great uh, success for the great population. success. Right, but if if you have a, a question with that, I mean, I mentioned this firm ECRI. Right, ECRI's been around for fifty years. They just they just bought the Institute for Safe Medication uh, Practices, uh, which is on medication safety, um, and there's no reason why certification of farm of drugs that are prescribed by physicians are not approved by testing laboratories like ECRI and the others or in hospitals and so on and so forth instead of being subject the, the reality is all the, these government agencies are subject to political pressure and yeah. of course when Trump was endorsing operation warp speed um, I guess it was Biden who said he wouldn't take Right. The vaccine. It was really Kamala Harris, but or Kamala Harris, whoever it was. Yeah. So they're making a judgment based on politics, as opposed to the science. Now they've flipped. Now they've flipped exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Speaking of flipping, we had this thing in California. We have a California's, we have in Los Angeles a lockdown on outdoor dining and restaurants, which came a little earlier than the statewide lockdown that just happened a couple of days ago. So we have a politician there as a former movie star. She was in Dobie Gillis, TV star, I guess is more accurate. And her name is Sheila Cool. And so she voted in the Board of Supervisors to, you know, have ban outdoor dining, which of course the restaurateurs have pointed out. You have no scientific basis whatsoever for this. It's much safer to be out, out of doors than uh, anyway. So she voted for it, and then she promptly went to her local Santa Monica favorite restaurant and ate just in the manner she had declared illegal and had mm-hmm. banned. Mm-hmm. And so, like the next night, the restaurateurs held a demonstration outside of her house, which I view was kind of ugly to do at people's houses. Yeah, but, don't go to people's houses. Yeah, don't go to people's houses. But anyway, they did. We, we had that happen to us at our house, by the way. The teachers union came, hundreds of them came oh. to our house and wow. drew things on things and scared the neighbors. And I, know, I go on and on. It's a personal thing. But anyway, it happens. So they went to this woman's house and the New York Times wrote about it as well as the other papers. But the New York Times left out, just left out the anecdote about her eating in violation yeah. Right afterwards. All the news that's with the print? I don't think yeah. so. All the news that fits your narrative, yes. That fits your narrative, that's right. But I think that there are now so many examples of prominent political figures and the hypocrisy Right. Um, they, they, that they is had becoming front, commonplace. They had a front cover, the entire front cover of the tabloid, the New York Post, mm-hmm. was uh, you know, rules for you but not for me yeah. with pictures of the people. Right, and it's and it's not just the hypocrisy of her, you know, Pelosi and Cuomo, and it goes on and on, but it's also things like the recent news account that Gavin uh, eight firms that Gavin Newsom is a principal in, in his plump jack empire, right. uh, received over three million dollars of these PPA loans. Meanwhile, other people were not receiving it, and uh, and he's. He, of course, he's complaining about Trump having the policy, which I wouldn't necessarily disagree with. I think it was a, a poor policy, but the amount of corruption in, on that level. And then you see that, you know, the, the, uh, the state of California, for example, uh, the Employment Development Department is now been reported that three billion, I guess it's over $2 billion right. now, has been defrauded through... Um, claims by prisoners or people claiming to be prisoners, something in the neighborhood of 35,000 claims. 
and so it's other also people. Out of state, out of state people. Out of state, absolutely. That's so right. they had no real check on no. who no. the people were and what their no. status was, and so it just became a scam, a racket. A total unbelievable, scam. Unbelievable, unbelievable, right. expensive incompetence. Yeah. So we did a, 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 we have a program quarterly called the California Golden Fleece Award. And the most recent award went to the California IT systems in all these departments, including EDD, motor vehicles, you name it. And the amount of money that these agencies have wasted on programs, billions, and then it never works, and then they cancel the program over and over again. The, the computer systems don't talk, financial systems don't talk to each other. I mean, it's just a gigantic mess. Right. And it shows again why central government planning is inept and creates disincentives for people to, again, be accountable, to find innovative ways to uh, get the job done. And all, of course, all of this is happening in the state where Silicon Valley and right. IT right. is set. And so it's a one-party democratic state. That's another right. right. And, and, and so many of the heads of the top firms in Silicon Valley who are doing all these great innovations and would not put up with such shenanigans are supporting the people who are doing it. <laughs> so it's right? interesting that uh, <laughs> independent institutes work in this uh, area has really been recognized because I was seeing that KTVU Channel 2 in San Francisco, Oakland, did an interview with Adam Summers, who is the Independent Institute's uh, expert on these IT systems in California. And I thought that was well-deserved to have that interview mm -hmm. about, about this EDD uh, unemployment uh, fraud. Well, EDD is now getting known yeah. as being uh, sort of crime, fraud, corruption central. Right. So we now have, we now have in California, we have this, this unemployment scam. We have the hypocrisy of the political leaders. So that includes the mayor of San Francisco, also going to the French Laundry, and mm -hmm. there's this Gavin Newsom going to the French Laundry and eating indoors with a large group, and it includes Sheila Cool, and there's others. And then we have the wildfires not being mastered. This is another thing the Independent Institute's done quite a bit of work on. And, uh, you know, it's starting to add up that we have a serious problem of competence, incompetence and hypocrisy in, in California politics. And these things get people thinking in new ways. And, right. you know, we can just hope that, especially here in California, where the obvious downsides of some of these centralizing tendencies yeah. are seen, that people can rethink it. Right, the shutdowns are really driving people right. nuts. And did, did you see the this school shutdowns? The latest thing I'm not sure if you saw this was because of the enormous backlash against Newsom about shutting down the playgrounds. He just reversed on that, and now he's going to let the playgrounds be open. Oh, that's good. They're out. Did right. you see this? Did you see this thing? And I was just, just came saying, out? you know, the people are getting fed up. Right. Earlier today, um, uh, there's this article about how the San Mateo County uh, Chief Health Officer, Scott Morrow, who was really enthusiastic about the lockdowns back in the spring, now has all sorts of misgivings, and he's resisting um, Governor Newsom's kind of comprehensive lockdown approach to mm -hmm. the uh, uh, pandemic risks, uh, taking a risk himself by not getting with the centralized program. Good job, Scott Morrow, for independent thinking. Virtually all the sheriffs in Southern California yes. have said they will not enforce this. Right, exactly. Wow, and, that's and there, incredible. And there are, there's one, um, I forget which firm, I think it's in Southern California, restaurant, has declared itself an autonomous zone. Oak and coal. Right. <laughs> Los Angeles. That's it. Autonomous zone. And uh, so how do progressives deal with that? By the way, one other little sort of twist on the issue of identity politics and people sort of getting fed up. Uh, this one woman I mentioned, Mary Nichols, is being considered to be the EPA head. As I mentioned, believes in environmental racism and she wants to change climate policy based on that. But one of the things that happened was she was going around basically trying to cash in on the George Floyd death as an example of environmental racism 
So the California Democratic Assemblyman Jim Cooper, who's black, has called Nichols sh shameless to exploit the George Floyd death to advance what he called her crooked environmental policies. Oof. Wow. I can't uh, fail to make mention of this comment. I just got it from one of our participants who's uh, on with us, I think probably through ThinkSpot, uh, who says, uh, I don't know about this myself, but perhaps this person is from New York State, who says, ironically, Cornell University is intending to make the flu vaccine mandatory except for students of color. <laughs> Hard to believe. Okay. I mean, um, they could reverse it. They could. <laughs> Uh, only students of color get it. We're coming into the home stretch here or the landing, really. But, you know, I, I don't want to close our conversation today without asking one or both of you to make some observations about the loss that uh, we have suffered in this last week. We lost Walter Williams, who was a friend to the Independent Institute and an intellectual statesman for the United States. Uh, David, did you know Walter Williams? Yes, I did. He was one of our founding members of our board of advisors. Uh, he spoke here. Uh, he was always, I mean, he's, he's an example of someone who is a friend to everybody uh, and was a stellar example of integrity. Uh, he was a great writer. He was clear. He would, he, would, he would not compromise, but he was very gracious in communicating with people. And, uh, you know, he, he touched the lives of a lot of people. Um, Millions of people, quite frankly. And uh, uh, Bill Evers, what did he believe in? What were his principles? Well, he believed in justice meant you're, you have your property justly earned. You make your voluntary transactions. And if somebody takes that, that's not justice. So don't tell me that's social justice. He wrote brilliantly about uh, youth and minority un uh, unemployment caused by the minimum wage. He wrote a brilliant book on uh, South Africa and how the apartheid system was anti-capitalist, was instituted by the labor unions, and was meant to restrict the rising of blacks economically. Uh, he wrote brilliantly, uh, early book was called The State Against Blacks, about all the regulations against opportunity for blacks to rise in the United States. And it's made into a, a PBS documentary. A PBS uh, documentary about him that's quite good. And he also had a series. Uh, but but, but it, the, the main thing is he's not, he was a clear writer. He was a clear speaker. He substituted on the Rush Limbaugh show. But, you know, he was kind of a great guy. He was, <laughs> he was very vibrant when he talked. He was like, he was he's a very tall guy. He would stand up and like, he would kind of radiate in the room. Yeah, that's right. Of, well, he was tall, so you couldn't miss him. He was very tall. <laughs> yeah, right. And so he was kind of commanding presidents, but a good-natured commanding president. Yes, right. And uh, so I think he was a wonderful contribution in his life, and uh, we will all miss him. We will miss right. him, yeah. Uh, and he, he, and in he and his wife were a really lovely couple. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. Um, thank you, David. Thank you, Bill. What a discussion. Um, we could go on for a long time. Um, just kind of here in closing, I want to mention that uh, uh, those who have joined us in this conversation can you know, go deeper if you want. Um, for example, uh, David Thoreau mentioned already our website, uh, fdareview.org. Uh, you can read up on the FDA. We have a really interesting article right now uh, on the top of our Catalyst website about FDA uh, dragging its feet on vaccine approval and the need for reciprocity and vaccine approval with other countries. That's at catalyst.independent.org. More generally, you can always go to independent.org and find a whole bunch of resources for you. Uh, on our website on virtually every subject, including the one that David also mentioned, our California Golden Fleece Award, which uh, report connected to which uh, gives all the details about the state failed IT enterprise here in California uh, and so much more. So and we don't want um, people either in California or around the country to think that California is in perpetuity going to be exporting bad ideas uh, with people. Uh, the point I think that we're trying to make is bad ideas uh, cannot be sustained. And um, a lot of this nonsense is catching up with these people. Uh, so 
that's the good news. And I think Walter was, was mentioned Walter Williams is a good example. Walter was a sole voice for many years, um, but his influence spread and he's influenced many younger people. Uh, and, well, I, uh, I have a bibliography, a reading list on uh, race and civil rights that's on the independent website. And it has uh, several articles and books by Walter Williams listed on it, uh, along with a lot of other people, if you're interested in the topic of race and economics. So thank you both gentlemen for your uh, wisdom, for your contributions. Thanks everybody for joining us for this conversation. Please visit our website, independent.org. We also give our thanks to our partner organization, ThinkSpot, uh, who makes us available to all sorts of people uh, through their vast network uh, here and around the world. So from the Independent Institute here in Oakland, California. Thanks for joining us for Independent Outlook and join us, uh, I think, two weeks from now for more conversation. Take care. And uh, I don't think we're gonna be here in two weeks, but I do oh, wanna right. wish everyone You're a right. You're right. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and Happy New Year. For sure. See you soon, take care. Bye. Thank you, Grant. Bye-bye.